You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2309 North Broad Street. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. We're going to talk about Jesus and creation for about 20 minutes or so. You're going to have a chance to respond with more questions and comments if you want. So it'll be like a 50-50 in terms of time. Does that make sense? So you're going to want to take notes and write down your questions that our authority will answer. Does that feel okay? Yeah. So we'll begin with what you do professionally. Tell us, tell us where you work and what your position is there because it's related to the subject at hand. Um, right now, I am a student. I am. Um, I have a degree, but I am in a two-year training program at Longwood Gardens, which is one of the largest public gardens in North America. Um, and they have a lot of educational programs. So I'm. I do everything there. I rotate through all their departments, which is like really vast. Um, you might not like have. If you've been to Longwood, you might not have an idea of how vast it is, because there's like plants that grow outdoors and indoors. They have a research department that works on a lot of conservation projects to like conserve native plants and, and endangered plants. Um, <laughs> they manage natural areas um, to like support different wildlife species. So it's like a pretty <coughs> wide-reaching thing. So I just kind of like float through and learn about everything. And yeah, it's cool. So. What kind of journey did you take to get to, to get to working there? Um, how did you How did you learn to care about this kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, I think I grew up always being like interested in the outdoors. Um, and where did you grow up? I grew up kind of all over the place, but like my younger childhood was spent in Washington State, and I remember like catching oh, really? in my backyard all the time and stuff like that. And when we would come to Massachusetts, I would like want my grandpa to like come catch bugs with me. So like I was always kind of that weird outdoor kid. Um, But when I was in high school, I took an environmental science course and like learned a lot about some of the big like issues that were facing us like for the first time. Uh, And then I was looking at different colleges to go to. I wanted to go to a Christian college and we visited Messiah. (laughs) Messiah? Any Messiah people here? Definitely a few. Excellent. Um, And they had a sustainability studies program. and it was basically studying kind of the environmental, social, and economic factors that go into like trying to create a sustainable world. It was very broad, it was very conceptual. I learned a lot of good ideas. I didn't get that many hard skills, but I was like really inspired all the time by like the professors I had. Um, I took a lot of science courses and I kind of found that I like experienced God and learned more about God from my like biology professors and like going out in the field with them and learning from them in class than I necessarily would have been like a theology class. So your care for the environment, your interest in it, environment, nature, creation, there's a lot of things we can call this. How does it, you're, you're already approaching it, how does it intersect with your faith? Mm-hmm. Um, how does it um, maybe uh, change how you relate to God, augment how you relate to God? How would you, mm-hmm. how do you approach it? Um, I think it's like a really integral part of faith and I mean I'm sure we'll talk more about this but that's not kind of the traditional view of nature or creation Um, it's not really seen as something that's like important to the church traditionally but um, I think it helped going to Messiah with this because there's a like strong environmental ethic there Um, but yeah I mean if God created the world if we're like co-creations with nature God created all the animals the same day he created the humans so um, that's really important. And uh, just like kind of learning about 
what's out there, learning about the creation, like from these professors I had, um, going on trips with them, like learning about how cool the diversity of birds are, how cool the diversity of insects are, or mushrooms, just like learning about that, learning that these things exist in the creation. Um, like to me still that is like an act of worship, just like, like learning and figuring that out and going to see it, making a pilgrimage to go see those things in nature. Um, it's like an important part of my spirituality. And do you go out like at Fairmount Park and you know what things you can eat that you find? Some. I probably wouldn't eat anything in Fairmount Park. Oh, no. <laughs> Some people do that. Can you forage for mushrooms? I'm learning. Oh, good. I'm interested in that. Yeah. So just, just personally. Um, Get a good guide. <laughs> yeah, you can't just eat any mushroom you find, right? You could no, die no. or something. Something bad could happen to you. Really All right. I won't, I'll chill with that. No. All right. So... Do you think it's a more pressing matter for Christians today to care about the environment and to care about how we care for creation? And why, why, why if so? Um, yeah, I think so for like a lot of reasons. Um, like, first of all, being that the amount of environmental issues that we're facing now are like so much greater than they used to be for a lot of reasons, because of population growth, because of globalization. Mm -hmm. um, all those things have contributed to climate change. So, like, I mean, you can, like, look at so many different graphs that explain different things. We're, like, like in the 1950s when industrialization happened, like, this, like, curve just rockets up of, like, the number of people, the, like, amount of carbon in the atmosphere, like, the amount of species. It's a big shift that happened, like, yeah. It's happening really fast, and it's happening now. Um, so that's really pressing. And I feel like I had another thought. Maybe it'll come to me. Well, we have a lot of modern conundrums today when it comes to creation, caring for creation, things like climate change. Um, and they're large, they, are, they largely seem to be rooted in um, uh, our economic mode, but also uh, kind of post-industrial, the post-industrial revolution world. With that in mind, why do you think, and I think, I think we're of the same mind on this, why, why why do you think it's been biblical and Christian to care for creation, even when the society uh, back then didn't necessarily face the same problems we do? Mm -hmm. You already touched on this, but essentially, can you make a Christian or a biblical argument for caring for creation regardless of kind of our con the, the contemporary problems we face? Mm -hmm. How do you work with that? Yeah, um, I think there are a lot of approaches to that. So you can like, like look at it biblically first, and um, there's a lot of like people who have written about how Christians are some of the main culprits of the environmental crises that we face because, like, Western theology being really a dominant force in the world um, and having the belief that like, like your soul is separate from your body and the spiritual is separate from the physical, which means like you know all the talk of like. We're not of the world. Which isn't really a Christian idea, yeah. but, it's, but it's in there, yeah. But all of that has kind of contributed to this, like, general feeling of, like, we're not responsible. Like, it's, it's a license to, like, exploit the world and not worry about the future of it because, like, we're going to leave it anyway and, like, we're not a part of it. So, like, who cares? Like, it's fine. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So if you actually go and, like, there are, like, are lots of different passages in the Bible. Like, you can interpret Genesis differently when... Um, God talks about having dominion over the earth. Um, Jesus has dominion over people, but he like his the way he expressed dominion and ruling was to serve, not to exploit. So um, 
like those kinds of things, like we've been taught that like that, like being fruitful and multiplying and having dominion like means a certain very kind of American idea, but that might not necessarily be what that's supposed to mean. Um, and if you're, if you care about, so, you know, maybe a lot of Christians, like, they don't care about the environment, but they do care about, like, people, and they believe in, like, alleviating human suffering throughout the world. Like, the environment is a huge justice issue, too. Like, environmental issues very disproportionately affect, like, vulnerable, pe vulnerable totally. people mm -hmm. throughout the world. Um, and it's expected that climate change is going to, like, affect those poor people in developing nations um, the most. So it's a huge justice well. Yeah, it's a major health concern in, in, in uh, countries where there is less regulation right. about water and air, for example, and so people are even suffering from, uh, you know, physical conditions as a result of the, the pollution right. in the air. And even here, like, a lot of, like, um, power plants and waste plants and stuff get cited in areas that are predominantly minority or something because they don't have as much monetary or political influence to, like, Choose where these like toxic dumps are going to go. So, for to care for the least of these, as Jesus instructs, this is an issue that matters for that. Mm -hmm. um, I like what you're getting at because you're talking about uh, how we how we how we see who we are in God, and that directly it relates to how we care for the environment. Mm -hmm. um, if you think that the earth is just ephemeral, it's just going to go away in a day or something like that, mm -hmm. then you don't have to care for it. But if you actually believe in a restored creation, which is uh, an, uh, an eschatological view and a view for the end of the world, then you have a real argument here. Mm -hmm. You know, if Jesus came to the earth in the form of a person, you can't really separate the spiritual and the physical. Yeah. You have to care for the environment, yeah. too. Um, so what do you, you, you touched on this, a lot of, maybe a lot of Christians in the West don't get that, um, and you're saying they're not known for that. Why, why and, and what, what do you, how do you respond to them? What do you do if you meet someone who says, no, this is all, this is all going to burn anyway? Mm -hmm. That's a hard one. I don't know if I, like, really, ha it's kind of like how, how long do you, like, argue with a, like, I can offer an alternative idea, um, but, like, at the end, like, some people who are, who have those ideas are, like, going to believe what they want to believe, and there's, like, so much cultural stuff, like, steeped in, like, like, you know, things like the Creation Museum, and, like, just, like, there's so much, some people care so much about proving that, like, the Earth is only 6,000 years old, and, like, that's fine, but, like, some people don't want to, like, think outside of those ideas. So do you think, so, so part of this is um, people that are suspicious of something like climate change, um, and you're connecting it to other ideas too, and maybe a, maybe a general suspicion of science. Right. Um, do you see science and faith um, as um, at odds with one another? Uh, not at all. Um, and people do. Um, people who are like on the side of like science is the only truth and people who are on the side of the Bible is the only truth. Um, find it hard to like cross the aisle at all but uh, one of the things when I was looking at colleges, a lot of Christian colleges don't even offer a lot of the biological sciences because you just can't study that without first believing like evolution is real. Um, mm -hmm. So Messiah, like the first 
thing you do in the first biology class you take. You read this book called The Language of God by Francis Collins. Francis Collins was the guy who headed up the Human Genome Project. Mm. And so he mapped out all the DNA of a human. He mapped out the entire human genome. He wasn't a Christian before he did it, and then he became a Christian. And so he writes this like really great book about um, basically how science and faith aren't in conflict, um, how there are two pillars that hold up truth, um, and that if science is something that can only it, it can only explain the natural world, and if you believe God created the natural world, there's nothing science could say that would disprove the existence of God. So it's like it's like crazy to me that it's like still a thing that people think butt heads, but in reality, I think they like dovetail together to tell us what is true about everything. Yeah. yeah, I think so too. I, I think the truth that we find in science um, doesn't contradict the truth that we have in God. Mm -hmm. And even if it isn't the full story, because of course science doesn't offer things like value. Right. Uh, th there's, there's a lack of philosophy in, mm -hmm. in the uh, empirical data. Yeah, Something still has to inform that. Um, and they don't have to be in conflict, they can be in sync, in harmony. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm with you, I agree with that. So, you have people that are suspicious, potentially, of climate change. How can, and, and, and without changing their mind, you know, showing them um, how the earth is getting warmer, for example, or why their hometown has more hot days on average this year than it did 20 years ago, which is generally the case. This, without having a direct conflict, and even if you can't change their mind, you're giving a biblical reason for why they should care for creation. How how can they care for it? How how, how do we? How, how can they care for creation? Be good stewards of it, um, despite maybe even being suspicious of mm -hmm. a primary reason to do it. Mm -hmm. um. A lot of things. Um, I'm making like a really broad stroke generalization here, but people who are climate change deniers like often fall into a demographic of people who are maybe farmers or ranchers or they like to fish, they like to hunt. Um, so even for people who are like think a little differently, like they might still place a really strong value on nature or rely on mm -hmm. it um, for what they do. Uh, what can we do? I mean, I. You're asking what everyone can do? Yeah, sure, we can go there. What's something that we can all do even as individuals to, so, yeah. So they, yeah. they, they, they still have a reason to care for yeah. creation, even if they're suspicious of uh, right. um, I mean, they want how their, bad fossil fuels are or right. something like that. They want their children to grow up in like a healthy place, just like everybody else. They want people to be able to eat and all that. So like very basic needs, like no one's basic needs can be met if creation is in peril. Um, but what can we do? I like tend to not really put that much value in like things like recycling, like personal recycling, or like, like your personal choices I don't think are like gonna change the world. Um, a lot of the things that are going on um, are like larger systemic issues. Yeah. Um, like, you know, a lot of fossil fuel consumption isn't really driven just because like I have to drive far to go to work. It's because like, like progress in like better technologies have been fought back by like fossil fuel companies. Like there's like corporate greed involved and there's like politics involved and it's kind of a lot bigger than just like whether or not I recycle a water bottle. So 
I think something like 71% of fossil fuel emissions comes from big corporations. Yeah. So even if I drive a Prius, I'm not really denting the main output of fossil fuel. Right. And recycling then is like, well, do it or don't. But yeah. if you're trying to address this issue, that isn't where we need to, what we need to do. Right. So I think it's good to like educate yourself and, um, and like and get involved politically if you can. Um, I think that has like more weight than just the personal choices you make. I mean, like it's totally cool if you don't want to eat meat. Like that's a good. Thing. And it's good. Why isn't it? Why is it good not to eat meat in terms of fossil fuels in the environment? Tell us just about that in a mm -hmm. sentence. Um, meat takes a lot more energy to produce because you grow the corn or whatever, and then you feed it to the animals. So there's another step there in the process. It's not um, that efficient. Yeah, it's not efficient. Um, is there anything else practically that we can do, especially if we don't have green thumbs or we like have a North Philly style slab in our backyard mm -hmm. where we can't really grow things mm -hmm. like I do, for yeah. example? Um, I would first like to dispel the myth that there's such a thing as a green thumb. There's no such thing as a green thumb. Um, anyone can garden, you, everyone who gardens. You say that, but most my plants yeah. die. Yeah, that's, then you learn and then you move Okay, on. just saying. All the plants <laughs> in my house are dead. Um. You have a lot. Yeah, I've been to your house. Yeah, I just, What's up, Trevor? Watching me throw out a lot of plants this week. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but yeah, there's personal choices are good, and I think like your food choices are some of the most important. Um, if you can like buy locally and if you can invest in meat, those are really important things to do because agriculture is like a really it's like a huge piece of the puzzle in environmental issues. Like I don't know if you guys have been following the like algal blooms off the coast of Florida that are like just like destroying marine life right Wait, now. Wait, so what's happening? Sorry, I'm when, not following um, this. So from agriculture, from agricultural runoff, nitrogen, which is like an essential plant nutrient, um, runs off into waterways, and this causes the algae to um, like cause these huge blooms. So there's like a red tide off the coast of Florida that is like decimating like marine mammals and the fishing industry and everything right now, and like all these like toxic fish are just washing up on shore, and people are like out there with like masks on to like clean it up. It's just so oh, I heard about this. My friend went to Florida. This is happening in Florida. Mm -hmm. And she said there was a lot of dead fish yeah. around. And it kind of smelled like mm -hmm. dead fish, mm -hmm. which so is not that nice. Oh. Oh. I th it's something about algae. The red tide is toxic. So they, the, all that algae. The red tide is... Um, and the algae the is algae red? That's growing, yeah. Um, and it's like a normal thing for some of that to happen every year around this time. But because of all the fertilizer in the water... It's like causing a like super bloom of algae. To so there's agricultural runoff. Mm -hmm. The fertilizer essentially fed algae and they grew a lot more. They took over their environment and killed a bunch of fish. Mm -hmm. That's what you're saying? Basically. It's like <laughs> that a happens in a lot of bodies of water, like lakes, rivers. Does it happen to be red? Is that there what they call red. it? Oh, wow. It's like, uh, it's like when God made the Nile red in Exodus. You guys know the Bible story? People say that that's what God did? Yeah, but it helps you bloom, then all the frogs leave, and the fish die, and that causes flies. That's amazing. I love biblical speculation like that. <laughs> that, you know, you're just way outside of the text, and you're just like, well, maybe that's it. I just, I appreciate the effort, you know. Um, so, let's talk about our context here. We're a little bit bigger as a, as a body, so we might have more of a footprint. How is Circle of Hope helping now, and what else could we do? 
what else can we do to care about this to 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 make it known to the to our region and to maybe maybe even to God that you know we want to be good stewards of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we do a pretty good job. I mean, at least people like are aware and care, which is you know like we discussed, not the norm. Um, and I know we have like a compassion team, the watershed discipleship team. Oh yeah. Um, I haven't kept up lately with what they're doing, but that could be something to check out um, and maybe get involved in. Um, and then we have like there are really important things that um, I think people in our congregation do with like urban greening. So like the um, urban farm we have here, just having some like tiny oasis like that in the city, just to like just even if it's just like a thread of connection to nature for people around, just like having that there, I think is super important and. Like um, Jess uh, has been doing Jess Schaffner. Yeah, Jess Schaffner has been doing her like Heart Lane farm thing um, in Kensington, and she's been like posting all these pictures of like monarch butterflies, like um, like coming out of the chrysalis there and stuff. So like just like having that there, I think is super important. Just providing that space for people, um, having dialogues like this is really important too. Just like talking about it. Um, but yeah, I think we could do more. I think we could do more with just like learning about our sense of place like um like i said for me like just like learning about where you are and like what lives here is an act of worship and so i think it could be cool to have like like scheduled um like retreats where you're like okay. going and encountering nature um giving ways for people in our congregation to encounter nature i think would be cool and you think that when you're in in creation in nature um you have a closer connection with god do you think that we, um, I don't want to be too negative, but we're trying to do a spirit, uh, Christian thing in the city. Um, does, does a- can access to nature help you experience God in a unique way? Is that your experience? Yeah, that's my experience. I think probably a lot of other people could agree with that too. And I know there are some people who are like, oh, like, I don't want to be outside. Yeah, that's me. And, but I don't know. You might, you still might find something you like. You still might learn something. I've never met God <laughs> camping, so I'm, try- I'm working okay. on it. I'm working on it. Someone needs to be here in the city, doing the city thing. So. <laughs> Thank you. Well, cool, Alex. Thanks a lot for the dialogue. Let's give a little clap here. Um, and now I'll open it up to you. Uh, ask a question. Uh, make a comment, and let's have a little bit more dialogue here before we, uh, before we go on. But there's time for you to talk back and to, and to uh, ask Alex some questions if you have any. Aaron, and I'm going to, here's how it's going to work. Aaron's going to ask the question. I'm going to repeat it so that the recording catches it, and then you're going to answer. Does that make sense? And I might be able to distill it, too, potentially. I'm wondering if you have any um, worshipful or intentional practices that you, I mean, you may just go out in nature and, like, you sort of just feel God, but is there anything that you do when you go out there to try to practice um, some kind of like meditative um, conversation with God and creation? Mm-hmm. Um, Is there a worshipful way uh, that you connect with God and creation? Is there a meditative practice mm-hmm. that you uh, engage in? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are probably like really good resources for finding out different things you can do. For me, and this might not be someone that is like interesting to everyone, but for me it's like um, looking at something and saying, what is that? Like, what is that tiny little plant? Like, what is that mushroom? What is that bird that I'm eating? Um, and trying to, like, just engage with things that way and to try to understand. Um, 
to have a sense of like, just to get that sense of place that you're in. Um, and yeah, just listening and looking, like observing. Observing, seeing, listening, just like being there and like letting your senses be open to what's Excellent. around you. Um, but I'm sure there are like great resources out there for like certain prayers or certain meditations that you could do in nature. Um, I bet someone else here could probably refer you to a better, like I don't have anything specific, but I'm sure it's out there. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. More questions, comments? Uh, Shelby, then Andrea. Shelby? Um, thank you. Um, I just, I'm really grateful that there is such a breadth of, like, um, experience and interest in our group, and I'm glad that there's an opportunity to hear all the difference, um, just because what you do and what you're interested in is not something that I'm like innately interested in, but like I'm interested in what you're saying and I'm interested in it in a, at like really like at a conceptual level, but it's not something that I've like poured my life's passion into. So I really like hearing um, from your perspective and that you were able to share it with us for people like who don't like know these things and aren't like super in touch with like plant species and things like that. I know I've texted you before, like I bought a plant and was like I'm going to kill this soon, so like, <laughs> what is this, how, where do I put it, um, like, does it need light, I don't know, I can Google it, but I trust you more than the internet, so, I just, uh, I don't know, I just appreciate your, your insight, and you, um, mm -hmm. having so much intention behind that interest, um, because, like you were saying, like, with Johnny, I know that was a joke, but it's like, there needs to be somebody in the city who doesn't like camping. <laughs> it's like, there needs to be someone who does that. It needs to be that. I'm, just, I'm glad that you're doing it. Shelby was just sharing her appreciation about uh, how we have a diversity of uh, interests <laughs> that complete us. And I, I just want to say that, too. Even over the course of the, these interviews, you know, we've had, I think, just four, but across a lot of territory, um, that shows how diverse and interesting the people in our community are. We should keep doing it. More comments or questions? Andrea, Andrea yes. Um, you asked a question where you were like saying, well, what do you say to people who are just like, let it burn? Um, and you were commenting more towards uh, people who might fall on the right side of the political spectrum. But I know people that are like, who are just like, we're in like capitalism, it's all like, there's nothing we can do to change what has happened already. Um, and like, how would you respond to that how do you respond to accelerationists who are not as concerned with the future of the world because we think, they think we've gone too, f too far, you know, past the, we're past the tipping point, uh, there's nothing we can do to reverse this change, and, you know, we got a couple hundred years before, mm -hmm. before Tampa floods or something like that. Yeah. That's the question. Um, I, I, I rephrased it in, your, in, in all honesty. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because I, I kind of feel like her friends sometimes. Um, yeah, I, I feel kind of similarly about that end of the spectrum too. Like I would only expend so much energy. Like I'm not trying to like convert anybody to like another way of thinking if they're just like 
happy where like I'm not gonna kill myself trying to make someone think differently. But again, offering alternative perspectives or if there are like hopeful or successful stories you can point to of people doing work that has like been good um, and been successful. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's I don't know. I'm not like trying to just go down the sinking ship and. I'm gonna keep doing what I'm doing, and yeah, I don't know if anyone else has any thoughts. Oh, if I if I can, I'll add yeah. one. 99.9 percent, .9 the scientists say, of all species that have ever existed are currently extinct. All right, so it's kind of a fatalistic view about how the world is working, and you need, uh, in order to care about the future of the earth as a human, you kind of need what's called an anthropocentric view of, of, of the world. You have to care about uh, the, the um, human beings surviving. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, then you can fall into the nihilism, so to speak, that Andrea is describing because you don't have um, a greater hope because you don't really care if a random species that evolved um, essentially by accident survives since most of them are extinct anyway nature will go on you know even if Tampa gets flooded or South Jersey gets flooded you know some of the fish will be fine you know the, so, so there'll be a bigger thing that's still happening that's bigger than humanity however I think the antidote to that is actually having faith in something more and so uh, even Christian faith is not a contradiction of caring for creation it actually um, augments care for creation and gives us a reason to care for it beyond um, beyond kind of uh, hope that this all works beyond the hopelessness that we're past the tipping point right so there's there, there's some reason to do that um, anything else you want to add sorry that was very exciting for me to share Jabbar and Charles go ahead Jabbar I like that you stand too when you talk it's nice <laughs> Kills with what? Oh, okay, okay, I got you. And so the whole idea that comes to that is that do we really care or are we still learning how to come out of diverse things? Hmm. Thanks, Jamar. Charles, you have a question? Can you be a what? Fly murderer. Oh yeah, I don't know. There are enough flies out there. Hold on, wait. I, I didn't hear your question. Say it one more time. Okay. The so second part, I know the Bible one. Can you be a fly killer? Okay, so what's the biblical basis for caring for creation? Make a, a textual argument. And can you be a fly killer and still care about the environment? Sure. Uh, I'll start with the first part of the question. 
Um, yeah, there are like a few things that like you can point to. So like one that I kind of touched on was in Genesis when God creates the world and says, "Be fruitful, and multiply, and have dominion over the earth." Like uh, interpreting dominion to mean not domination, but more like like ruling, so stewarding, serving, not like exploiting. Um, dominion does not equal like license to exploit. Um, another would be when also in Genesis after the flood, um, like chapter nine, I think I wrote a couple things down, so I was like just looking. That's the only reason they're coming to me so quickly. But um, uh, in Genesis nine, well, after the flood happens, um, and God talks about you know the whole part about the rainbow as like a reminder about the covenant. God doesn't just say, like, I'm making a covenant with humanity. He says, I'm making a covenant with you and all creatures of all flesh, like all creatures of the earth. Um, and the rainbow will be a reminder to my covenant with you and all creatures. So, like, um, God kind of puts us on that same plane with other parts of creation. Um, and in Job, God talks about, like, the Leviathan and the um, behemoth as these, like, great creatures that he created that, like, Exists to like bring God glory without, without like Job doesn't matter like people don't matter like these things exist and are mighty um, without humans being a part of that. Um, and then like in, I want to say it's Isaiah. It's like in a prophetic book, um, like when the prophet is talking about how God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. So like, earth ain't done. Like it's like God cares about earth. There will be a new earth. Um, yeah, those are just a few. I don't know if anybody has any more. There are some good, like, also good resources out there. Um, the book that I was kind of just, like, skimming through before I came here to, like, have something in mind for that question is called For the Beauty of the Earth, like, the name of the head. Nice, same. Um, so it's, like, one, that is, like, a book that really, like, outlines, like, this is, like, where we are, and this is, like, how we got here and how the church is responsible, this is why we should care, and this is, like, what we can do moving forward. It's very, like, if you want to get more into that, it's, like, a good Another one, New Testament is Romans 1, where Paul is describing how none of us are with excuse, with, with none, all of us, uh, no one doesn't have an excuse for knowing about the fall of the world and the problems in it because creation groans, right? And you hear creation growing as the, as the I'm, I'm being a little more colorful, but as the earth heats up, something's wrong. Something didn't work out. You're doing something to disturb creation. And it's reacting to, quite frankly, the sin that you've poured into it. Um, and so that creation groaning is more like, hey, no, we're supposed to, it shouldn't groan. Um, and Jesus is bringing something new to us. So that's one I would add. Any more? Brandon? In regards to my career, like, or just like, like what you're talking about right now, like everything in regards to that, uh -huh. you know, like <laughs> ideal field of Um, a hard and complicated question. Uh, affiliate does do some cool things, and it's like so complicated because it's so wrapped in like political and socioeconomic, like because you know when a space, like a space becoming green in a neighborhood, is like very strongly linked to like gentrification, so. It's like really hard to separate those two things. And there are a lot of great projects that go on in Philly and other 
cities where people are like working hard to create green spaces, spaces where people can grow food and like not lose that connection to where their food comes from. Um, but yeah, it's it's like complicated. But yeah, I, I mean, it would be great to see um, just to, for people to have access to nature. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, nothing like, it, everything doesn't have to be green, but for people to like have access. Um, and like I said, it's a huge justice issue, especially in the city. Like I moved to Philly because I thought I like, was going to get involved in those things, and it turns out it's hard to get a job, like, growing food in the city, um, so that's why I am where I am, but, um, yeah, like, there, like, we all know, like, people in neighborhoods like this don't really have great access to fresh right. food, and there are all these health issues that come tied with that, um, yeah, but it would be great to see one day those kinds of things get worked out, um, and people have access to the things that they need. Thanks, Alex. Thank you, Brandon. Oh yeah, Brandon's question, sorry I didn't repeat it, was what's your vision for Philadelphia and its future? That's what Alex was answering. Um, Naomi. You guys kind of touched on this already, but I, I, I hear this idea that like caring about environmental issues is elitist or like you have to come from a place of um, privilege or something in order to even think about these things. Um, how, do you, how do you engage with that idea? Mm -hmm. Is, is caring about the environment just, uh, some people say it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an elitist issue. How do you, how do you handle that? Mm -hmm. um, I would say, like, that can be true when you look at, like, I don't know, elitist kinds of communities or things. Like, like yeah, Whole Foods is, like, elitist and that, like, yeah, organic, organic food, organic branded food is, like, an elitist thing. But... Like, it's not because people who are in a lower socioeconomic class, like, don't care or, like, want um, to be healthy or have access. Like, um, indigenous people care very much about, like, the land, um, like, all over the world. Uh, people who are poor tend to be, um, maybe not, like, somewhere like Philly, but, like, having uh, traveled to different places, study abroad different places, like, people who are poorer are like very like connected and dependent to their land. Um, people who are farmers, et cetera. People who rely on the land for their food and medicine because they're not getting it from anywhere else. Um, so I think a lot of like, I don't know, a lot of mainstream ideas about like what it means to be like environmentalist, about like shopping certain places, making certain financial choices um, is elitist, but the like, the need and the desire to like have that connection to nature, um, I don't think is. And I think as we kind of, as time passes, as people in the city, as there are more generations that get further and further, like, there are like older generations here who like remember what it was like to like grow their own food and stuff like that. <laughs> but um, when I worked at Morris Arboretum, we would get, uh, you know, there are a lot of great programs like this that we would pay for Title I schools to like come for free and like get tourist food, pay for the bus and everything for them to come. And they would get there and they'd be like terrified of everything. Yeah. never been in such a, like, it's not a particularly wild-looking place, but um, they've just never seen so many trees and so many bugs, and they're, like, pretty freaked out about it. Um, and you're teaching people about this, too, right? You're connecting with people so they know right. more, even in the city. Right, yeah. So trying to prevent that kind of thing from happening as, like, people become further and further disconnected. Yeah. 
Yeah, we live in a we live in a troubling time where you have to make that distinction, right? Because people's needs aren't met, right? They don't have jobs, they don't have money, they don't have resources, and so their lowest kind of on Maslow's hierarchy of needs isn't met. So of course, some abstract idea about climate change seems distant from them. Why do you have a world like that where you've separated those things, you know? So to me, it's like, no, solve those problems. They're all connected to each other. Um, and there seems to be, the most cynical side of me says, there's a benefit to stratifying everything like that so that you don't care about these issues because you're concerned about, you know, um, your kid not being killed by a cop or something crazy. There's not a lot of room in the scarcity mindset for leisure time. Uh, so if somebody's like, yeah, I'm down with this idea of you know, caring for the environment and uh, how it relates with my relationship with God, like what, is, what are some resources to start breaking down that like, green wall, like start engaging with it? Um, I know growing up I would be in the outdoors and I was told that I needed to appreciate it, but I was like, I don't know, it kind of just all looks the same. Like, uh, Camping is a little dirty. It's not so much fun. Like, what what are some things that somebody can go out and start doing? What are things that someone can just go out right now and start doing, doing even if they don't like sleeping in a tent, where they don't know if the bug is on the inside or the outside of the tent? <laughs> which is my personal <laughs> dilemma. Um, good question. Um, I don't know, because, like, if... Like you, no, not everybody has to like want to like go, go on a little walk in the woods or anything. Um, but they, they do in this context. You're saying they do. Yeah. It's not someone who like is in a stressed place in their life. Right. Okay. Just like a. <coughs> um, I don't know. Philly is a great place. Like there are. You're talking about like any of these kinds of people here, like people who have yeah. access. Okay. Um, yeah, Philly is like a super cool um, place to be for like getting <laughs> out and doing things. Like there are lots of wildlife refuges. Um, one that's close by is John Hines, which um, Tinicum. Yeah, I love that place. Yeah, and it's like there are like planes flying overhead, but they're like it's like one of the most it's like the best birding spot I've ever been to like in the U.S. Like it's, I mean that's I haven't gone out that much, but every time I go there, I see like a million different birds. Um, and they're, uh, we're America's garden capital. So there are like 35 plus public gardens in the Philadelphia region. Um, so there are lots of great gardens. Gardens are cool because they'll like interpret things for you. So like, um, like Longwood is like not at all, like it is like a giant display, it's a giant show. It's like a lot of like, ooh, oh, look at that. Like it's not, I don't care about that. <laughs> but um, it like breaks down that green wall for people. It like gets people to come in and say like, oh, like plants are cool. Like, Mm -hmm. Here's people's plant blindness, and then they can go from there. Um, and there's like people there, who, people who are there to like tell you about what you're looking at. Um, so going to a public garden, I mean, it's like going to a zoo, but like for plants and nature and stuff. So like, go check out an arboretum or something. Excellent. Um, to learn more about nature. Yeah. Well, th thanks, Trevor, and thank you, Alex, for the for the time and the dialogue. This is exciting. There's a lot more we can uh, share. Alex will be glad to answer more questions. I think. Um, again, keep in mind, uh, that if you're interested in this, we have the Watershed Discipleship Team, we have the Urban Farm Team, and if you're interested uh, in it from a policy perspective, we have uh, 
the Philadelphia Coalition for Affordable Communities, which also advocates for green space and affordable green space in um, poorer neighborhoods in Philadelphia. So that's something that I'm personally involved in, if you're interested. So let's have uh, some more clapping. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.